Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The World in 10 brings you the big news stories of the day explained and analysed by the Times of London. Today with me, Jenny Barsby. In this episode, we're looking at possible replacements for Joe Biden as concerns continue to grow about his suitability to run again for the White House. But who, if anyone, could become the next Democrat presidential candidate? And is there enough time before November the 5th? Another Republican primary, another resounding win for Donald Trump. This time it was the people of South Carolina who voted overwhelmingly for him to be their presidential candidate. A kick in the teeth for his only rival, Nikki Haley, though. It's her home state. After the win, Mr Trump couldn't resist poking a bit of fun at President Joe Biden. He always points, he goes like this. Thank you. Where am I? Thank you. And it's always he ends up going in the opposite direction, ultimately. But if there's a wall behind him, he ends up walking into the wall. And Trump isn't alone in his views. Just a couple of weeks ago, you may remember a report by special counsel Robert Hur concluded that Joe Biden is an elderly man with a poor memory who couldn't even remember when his son Beau had died. He is, of course, 81 years old, and there is a growing concern that that is too old to carry on. And according to a Monmouth University poll, 48% of voters think Biden will be replaced as a Democratic nominee. With this in mind, the Times senior sub-editor Eugene Smith has compiled a list of the 10 Democrats who could possibly replace him. And he joins me now. Eugene, welcome to The World in 10. First of all, what is the likelihood of the president stepping down as the Democratic nominee? Well, he insists that he won't. And there's only a short window in which he could really do it and leave his replacement with enough time to sort of gather momentum for the election. The Democratic Party convention happens in August, and that's where he is officially confirmed as the nominee. And the thinking really is that if that happens in August, then there's there's basically no likelihood of him being replaced between August and November. So it's in this short window of the few months between now and August that any movement could could happen. As much as I'd love to sit down and go through all 10 of your suggestions, time sadly is not on our side. So how about giving us the front runners? Mm. Well, I think Kamala Harris has to be in the top three just because of her position. You know, she's in the in the, in the the cliche, she's a heartbeat away from the presidency. She's right in the mix already. The other candidate that gets talked about a lot and has the sort of track record that could propel him to the presidency is Gavin Newsom. He's the governor of California. He's already got experience of governing a huge population of people, which is a useful experience for the presidency. And he's made no secret of wanting to be president one day. Um, and then thirdly, I would actually say Gretchen Whitmer. She's the governor of uh, Michigan. And she's 
uh, one re-election, well, well, run one election as that governor in a in a swing state, which is very important. She's also made a name for herself, herself particularly on the issue of abortion, uh, as a as a pro-choice Democrat. And abortion will be a real defining issue of, in the election in November. So she's compelling in that sense. And are there any in the list do you think our listeners might find surprising? There's um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She turns 35 just before the election. Uh, and she's sort of seen as a real figurehead for the American left. And in particular, quite closely associated with Bernie Sanders. Um, another wild card, actually, that wasn't in the top 10, but was sort of mentioned, I mentioned in passing in the article, but um, read at times reader comments underneath the article sort of suggested him as a real um, viable candidate is Anthony Blinken. Uh, and he's sort of seen as this safe pair of hands. He's won plaudits for his handling of the Middle East crisis, for example. And the other, um, just Finally, the other candidate I, I didn't include in the top 10, but mentioned in passing was uh, one Michelle Obama, who a lot of certain Democrats fantasize about as being a sort of a continuation of Barack Obama's legacy. She's been very categorical. She does not want to be president. Um, and again, she's very unlikely. Eugene, thank you so much for talking to The World in 10. And you can, of course, read Eugene's full analysis on The Times website now. To France now, where the capital city is seeing a break from the norm when it comes to independent bookshops. My World in 10 colleague Laura Cook has been taking a closer look at how Paris is rescuing its cultural soul. Independent bookshops in the US became an unlikely success story emerging from the pandemic. Last year, the American Booksellers Association recorded its highest membership levels in 20 years. But there's one city where independent bookstores are struggling, Paris. Joining me now is Times contributor in Paris, David Chazan. David, why are bookstores in this cultural capital struggling? Yeah, the Latin Quarter is the home of the Sorbonne and a number of other top French universities. And it's always been part of the vibrant intellectual life that's flourished on the left bank. And independent bookshops have been a large part of that. But many of them are now facing bankruptcy because of the onslaught of big on online retailers such as Amazon. And so the Paris Council has decided to step in and it says that it will now preemptively take over some of these bookshops if they are at risk of going under as part of a three-year trial. And their aim, they say, is to prevent globalisation from ruining the charm of this area. And what's the reaction been of the booksellers to the council's interventions? Well, some of them have been quite positive, but they say that the council's waking up to a problem and it's probably too late. But others are questioning exactly how this will work in practice, and they're a bit sceptical. And I spoke to several booksellers who said, look, it's all very well for the council to be taking over these shops, but they'll need trained booksellers to keep them going. Uh, and some of them were saying that the, the big problem that they ought to be addressing if they want to keep booksellers in business is that they need to do more to ensure that their costs, including rent and tax, are affordable. Finally, it's an interesting problem when you consider that the French regulate the price of books. The, the French have a 
system whereby the price of a new book is the same whether you buy it online or in an independent bookshop and they have already legislated to force Amazon and the other online retailers to charge a three euro delivery fee which is also part of their drive to keep the independent bookshops in business. Thank you David, that was David Shazam, Times contributor in Paris. Our final story sounds more like the plot of an Indiana Jones movie, but is in fact the true tale of an heroic female protagonist, British spies and an ancient cup considered by some to be the Holy Grail. The protagonist is a cleaning lady at the Valencia Cathedral, Sabina Sui. The British spies are MI6. The ancient cup is the Santo Calith de Valencia. The Times man in Spain, Simon Hunter, has been delving into exactly what happened all those years ago in 1939. This has been revealed by a researcher and a historian called Ana Mafe Garcia. She's the chair of the International Scientific Committee for Holy Grail Studies. So she's very much an expert. And what has emerged is that there was a plan by the British Secret Services, specifically MI6, to um, offer Sabina Sui and her family safe passage to the United Kingdom if she would bring the Holy Chalice with her and hand it over. But apparently she did not trust the British spies and she refused the offer. Sabina went to great lengths to keep this chalice safe, risking her life to smuggle it to her home, where she hid it among the springs of a sofa. And all for a cup that may or may not be the one used during the Last Supper. But Simon told me this one has a greater claim than any others. It's been the subject of much study. It's been in the cathedral for, for hundreds of years. Uh, and it is the only grail that's recognised by the Vatican um, to be the, the, the relic that really could be the, the, the Holy Grail. So that was the first surprise for me. I have to admit, I was unaware of the existence uh, of this grail because the problem is we're all so conditioned by the third instalment of the Indiana Jones movies that that's, I think, in most people's heads is the narrative that surrounds the, the Holy Grail. An exhibition celebrating the extraordinary life of Sabina Sui will be going on display in Valencia later this year. Thanks for taking 10 minutes to stay on top of the world with the help of the Times of London. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>